Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Ashley, you're back. Oh my gosh. Yay! <laughs> Everybody I'm rejoice. <laughs> I'm so excited to be back too. I can't believe it's been four months, five months since we recorded together last. I guess it was January. I know. Well, we took January off and we did that mini episode. So it's really oh, been yeah. since December that we've recorded a full episode, which is just oh, you're right. wild. I was still pregnant then. That's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird how your life sort of gets divided into before baby and after baby. Absolutely. That's how <laughs> I can just... remember what year anything happened in the last four. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, I was pregnant then. Or, oh, Sam was 15 months. Okay, yeah, that's now my marker is what she was doing. <laughs> it's useful. <laughs> yeah, it is useful. I tell you what, I missed recording so much, but I loved listening to all of your interviews, and I love that we were able to give space to so many voices um, to tell their stories and talk about the cool work that they're doing. So I just want to thank you for all of that time and effort you put in over the last few months, because it is not a small thing at all. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. It was my pleasure, and it was fun to bring some other voices on, and I think as we move forward, we'll definitely be thinking about how we want to incorporate guests, you know, throughout our recording. Uh, maybe the two of us could interview some people together. That would be really fun. Yeah, that would be fun. So what's new in your life? Let's see. Well, I am about to go on vacation with just my husband. Oh, so excited. Oh, my gosh. We're going to go up to Portland, Maine, which neither of us has been to before. Uh, escape the heat of the South for a little while and eat lots mm. of lobster rolls and go to the beach. Maybe it'll, it might actually be too cold for the beach, but uh, just enjoy one another's company while Samantha is with her grandmother, with my mom. So we're really looking forward to just getting away. Well, I'm excited for you and a little jealous. I was about to say, I know you're really in the thick of it because Avery is now four months, right? Yeah, he's four months old. Uh, It's going to be a while, I think, before we go anywhere without him. (laughs) It will come, I promise. It does come back. Just hang in there one day at a time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. I like having um, friends that are kind of a few years or a few months ahead of me in child rearing, and I can kind of like benchmark a little bit like, okay, so so and so by six months is doing this, so I can kind of expect that then. Or like, and and when Avery's three years old, I can go on a week long tri- trip to Maine. <laughs> we actually did that when Sam was two. We went away for a week, so it might even be sooner. Oh. And I think the biggest mark for me is I was packing up Sam's clothing and stuff, what she needs for this trip, and I can fit it into a suitcase. Like, it's not, she doesn't have a stroller. We don't have the diaper bag. I mean, just not having all of the stuff feels really liberating. So just know that you won't have to carry around that stuff forever. It does come to an end. (laughs) It's coming. It's a season for everything, right? This is true. So... Yeah, my advice to all the parents out there, if you have really little ones, it gets better. And apparently it even it even gets better from where we are. So that's all positive news. <laughs> Don't listen to people when they say, oh, just you wait. That is crap. It does yeah, get that's easier. the worst. Yeah. Can we just PSA? Don't ever say that to a parent that things just get worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, well, I'm so glad to have you back, especially because this is our 20th episode of Kindreds. Can you I believe that? I can't believe it. No. I know. It was, 
I guess it was about a year ago that we started recording our first episodes. We didn't launch them until August, but it's been about a year. So I would say 20 episodes in a year is really good. Yeah, that is really good considering you had we started. A baby. We didn't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a baby. We didn't know what we were doing. We taught ourselves how to podcast. Like, I think 20 episodes is something to be pretty proud of considering that this was, we started this as a, let's do an episode or two and see if we like it. Yeah. So thanks for everybody who's been on our journey so far. And we we're looking forward to the next 20. Yeah. Oh, gosh, the next 20. <laughs> so. In honor of our 20th episode, I've been working on something a little special. So the people who know me know that um, my love language is playlists. (laughs) (laughs) That was not in the book, The Five Love Languages. I think we need to update that. (laughs) I And before playlists, it was mixed Yes, mixtapes. Did you even have mixtapes? Yeah. I make them for people I love with like songs that remind me of that person. Um, I've done them for my mom and my friends. I make them for every road trip has a custom playlist. And so then, um, or every vacation. So then after that vacation, we can like have all the music that reminds us of what we did. And I mean, it's just like, it's a thing I do. It's a hobby, I guess. So I'm making a Kindred's playlist. And I'm super excited. It's um, gonna have some music on it that is just stuff that's that's really um, kind of pumping me up right now. Songs that are inspiring that have kind of um, trying to make sure it's all pretty upbeat um, and things that can just uh, some songs that will just maybe make you feel good um, and remind you of Kindreds a little bit. So uh, right now I'm working on it in Spotify um, and I'm gonna make a. Uh, I'm going to make the same playlist in Amazon Prime Music, and then I'll just make like a list of all the songs so that people can, um, people that don't do a streaming service can download them on whatever um, platform they like. And we'll make that available to our Kendra's community um, soon. And um, as a special treat to our patrons, we will make sure that our patrons get access to that playlist about two weeks before we launch it wide to the whole Kendra's community. So um, if you are not currently a patron, that might be a reason to uh, to go to patreon.com slash kindreds and sign up to support us now because we're going to always have little treats and things like that for, for our patrons. So, um, yeah, that's my little Patreon pitch. Um, how, what else do we have going on right now, Katie? Well, we wanted to share some of the great folks who've taken the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we don't have time to read all of them, but we thought we would highlight a couple of them. So the first one is from a username Podcast Joy, who says, it's like joining the conversation with two warm, witty, interesting friends. Thank you for inviting us to drop in and ponder issues together. I love they call us witty. (laughs) Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. And uh, Kara from The Fairer Sense, um, and they just started their second season. So if you're not listening to The Fairer Sense about women and money, definitely go check it out. Um, Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So Kara said, I love how thorough you are and how much you focus on intersectionality, which we really value that too, um, especially as white feminists. We know that sometimes uh, we aren't always good about thinking how our issues impact folks of all different kinds. So we're really thankful that that's coming through on the podcast. And we would love for all of you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's so much easier now than before when you had to go through iTunes. Mm. It's super Mm. simple to rate and review uh, the podcast. So that's another way to show your support. And we would love to share your review on the show in the future. Yeah. So um, in case you don't know, all you have to do is in your, um, like if, if you listen on your phone, you just scroll down to the end of the 
the show listing on podcasts and there will be a place with a button you can click that says write a review and you can leave your stars and you can write something out like it's really easy now it is so please help us out with that it helps other people find the show and speaking of podcast reviews i want to give a shout out to our friends of the pod over at pulpit fiction I talked about them last week on episode 19, but they're a lectionary-based podcast, which means they dive into whatever the biblical texts are for that week that you're going to hear on Sunday morning in a sermon. Uh, So they also have great guests that they do once a month called Thursday Night Special, I think is the name of it. And I wanted to lift up one they did about a year ago with the writer Rob Bell, who does really great theological work for folks that I think is very accessible. You know, sometimes theology can be really Mm -hmm. heady and hard to understand, but he makes it really, really simple. And he's super inclusive and thinks about theology in a really broad way that kind of Mm -hmm. helps other people who might be having doubts about certain parts of their faith. Like there's room for you in Rob Bell's theology. So we'll link to that in the show notes. So sorry to change the subject, (laughs) but... (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about apologizing. Yes, apologizing. Yeah, and um, we wanted to kind of talk about, like, when we say apologizing, what what do we mean? Um, and what is it that we want to talk about today? Because there's a lot of different types of apologies, right? There's, like, the sorry I bumped into you kind of apology. Um, there's the sorry as a conversational buffer, um, which we will talk about more later. And then, um, but what we really want to focus on is the type of I'm sorry where I've intentionally or maybe unintentionally hurt someone. Um, And what does it mean to actually own that and apologize? And how do we communicate that and actually um, make amends? Like, what does that really mean? Yeah, this is a great topic. And thank you for thinking of it because, yeah, there's just so much, there's so many layers to it. And I love that Mm -hmm. we're going to focus less on, the, the public conversation around policing women's language, around saying sorry all the time, we really mm-hmm. aren't going to talk about that because there's tons of think pieces about that. And I'm mm-hmm. not really into telling women how to change how they talk. I just think that that's some internalized sexism stuff. So we're not going to focus yeah. so much on that, but wanted to acknowledge it, uh, that that is a thing. And there's plenty of things you can read about it that people have talked about. And we'll maybe link to something in the show notes about it. Yeah. So sorry, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> Amanda of like today. Demi Lovato, sorry, not sorry, which I was listening to in the car, I guess, in preparation. <laughs> that was my playlist for today. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> we'll it. link to that, too. That was a summer 2017 song for me. Yeah, um, but that's a fun one. so there's lots of reasons that apologizing is important. But I'm wondering, Ashley, in your view, you know, why is why is apologizing so important to you that you wanted to talk about it on the podcast? Yeah, so I've been kind of watching the Me Too stuff unfolding, um, and you know, every time allegations come out against somebody and they issue a public apology. Like, those apologies um, sometimes really ring false. And it's made me wonder, like, what is it about this way of apologizing that feels so hollow to me? Um, and what what makes a good apology? Like, what's the difference between what, what these people are doing as sort of a publicity, publicity stunt or, you know, they're just covering themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just feels really hollow. I, I don't know if you – do you remember when um, – the the chef Mario Batali um resigned I think it was last year um he amid like 
sexual assault allegations from coworkers and um, people who'd worked under him. So he resigned and he issued this public apology. And it was like, sorry for all the women I've hurt. Also, here's a cinnamon roll recipe. What? Do you remember that? No. Yes. That really happened. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad I missed that the first time around because I would have been incensed. Wow. So it was was a side note. A side note. Yes, it was like, P.S., if you're looking for a summer treat, here's a cinnamon roll recipe. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it was just so ridiculous. And Do you not have a publicist? I mean, I'm mean, (laughs) Yeah. So it got me thinking about, like, what is a real apology and why why are apologies so important and why do they – why are they meaningful? And to me, like, a true – a true apology to someone that you've hurt is just a show of respect for that person, like respecting their humanity, respecting um, that that you did something to them that you're taking ownership for and you want to make it right. Mm-hmm. And um, I just feel like, you know, with a lot of these Me Too apologies, like they that's there's just a lot of missing pieces. It's they say the words, but the, the actual like the heart of the apology isn't really there. Um, so that's kind of to me, why I wanted to talk about this and explore it a little and why it's important to me. Mm -hmm. I really agree with that. And to me, respect is all about upholding the relationship that you have with someone and saying the relationship that we have and restoring that relationship is more important than me saving face or acting like this thing never happened and creating ongoing tension in our relationship. It's like, I want to clear the air. I want to repair the wrong so that we can yep. move forward in a healthy way. I really like that. I, I agree that it's definitely a sign of respect. I was thinking about what apologizing means for me, and this is more of an internal reflection on why I think it's important for me as someone who is pretty type A, who's a perfectionist, who struggles a lot with, with self-criticism, is that apologizing in a very genuine way and having that apology received is a way for yeah. me to accept that imperfection is something that we all share. There's no way to avoid it. We are going to make yep. mistakes. And because I made a mistake, it doesn't mean that I'm now a terrible person or unlovable yes. or I'm not going to be good enough to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about accepting that a lot of times mistakes are based in miscommunication or unspoken expectations and can actually yep. be a growing experience for now we know this thing about each other and maybe we won't do it the same way again in the future Um, and we won't have to go through this exact same thing again because now I've learned something about you you've learned something about me and we care about each other let's move forward yeah I totally agree and I I really think that um apologizing is sort of the skill that comes with a certain level of emotional maturity Mm -hmm, for sure and self-acceptance, you know, you've got to, you've got to be pretty okay with yourself in order to own a mistake and not make it, make it, make you spiral into, I'm a terrible person. Um, I don't, you know, I don't deserve to be forgiven or, or anything like that. Yeah. And that stuff is really hard. Yeah. You know, it's, it can be really hard to apologize. Yeah. Um, have you heard Brene Brown talk about the difference between guilt and shame? Yes. I really yes. like that. Well, we can link to this too because she talks about it a lot. But guilt is saying I feel bad about the thing that I did. And shame mm-hmm. is I feel bad about myself for this thing that I did. And yeah. like the difference in 
you know, admitting like I did something that hurt someone versus like I'm a bad person because I made a mistake. I think that that yeah. is a really I definitely struggle with the shame part of that. And moving into yeah. she's like guilt is actually a good thing. <laughs> we should yeah, feel guilt exactly. when we do something that hurts somebody, but we shouldn't then internalize it and say I'm a bad person. Yeah. And, you know, the shame, it's interesting you bring this up because the shame part of it is what sort of turns it around and makes, you know, if if I did something that hurt you and then I'm so consumed in my shame over that thing, it's made it about me now. Oh, that's so true. Instead yeah. Of, instead of making it about you and owning the the way that I hurt you and, and acknowledging that I hurt you, you are the person that is hurt here. I've turned it around and made it about me and I, and my shame and the way I feel. And that is really um, not, you know, that's not part of apologizing that moves it forward and, and um, is healthy, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody sob uncontrollably when they're apologizing to you? <laughs> I don't... I don't think so. That's a Has real that hard one. You? Yeah, it's a real hard one because now, because I am a perfectionist, but also super empathetic. Now mm-hmm. I'm worried about this person feeling okay about this thing that they did that hurt me. So yeah. if you're someone who cannot control your tears, maybe a written apology is a good way to start. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> yes. And you know, this comes up um, in sort of social justice work that we do um you know we're all trying to be uh allies and we're all trying to work together to in in our various movements to advance you know a common good for people and especially um white people we're gonna make some mistakes um we're we've got you know when we're when we're really striving to have an intersectional approach to what we do like we're just gonna make mistakes and Sometimes we are going to say something or do something that's racist or sexist or ableist. And um, we've got to be able to be called out for those things and then, like, take ownership for that and learn from it, make the necessary apologies. Because something that comes up in this in this work that I see a lot is when people are like, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, so I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And something we've got to really own is that our intentions aren't always the point. Like we maybe didn't intend to say that racist thing, but we did say that racist thing and we need to now own it and apologize for it and don't do it again. Right. (laughs) You know, instead of saying, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, so maybe you shouldn't be so sensitive. (laughs) Yeah, it's not an apology. (laughs) No, that's not an apology, but it is for a lot of people. I've gotten that variation of an apology my entire life. Well, maybe you're just too sensitive. Uh, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, I thought maybe I was just too sensitive. And now I'm like, "Mm, no, actually, I'm a human being with needs, and you just stomped all over them, and you need to acknowledge that. Yeah, (laughs) and the ability to – I think, again, that goes to empathy – so maybe there's mm-hmm. something said that wouldn't, I don't imagine would hurt my feelings, but I need to put myself in the place of someone else and say, I, yeah. the way that that person received it is hurtful. And mm-hmm. that just means that we're different. Our makeup is different. And again, I care about the relationship with that person. So I want to make amends and think yeah. about, okay, this is a trigger for them. This is something that's um, hurtful to them. And I don't want to do it again because I don't want to hurt someone. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it really is like, you have to want to be good at apologizing. (laughs) Yeah, You know, you have to like want to, you have to want to be good at it. Um, It's not something that comes naturally. Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely something that is a learned thing. 
And I think maybe part of it is that we don't always learn how to apologize if it's not modeled to us. But you had this nice formula that you found in an article yeah. that I think, even though it's intended right for for younger audiences, kids. is actually <laughs> yes, helpful kids. for all of us. So I'd love for you to share that. Yeah. So I just want to go on record as saying, I'm sorry you're mad is not an apology. No. Let's just... <laughs> Let's just put that out I'm there. Sorry that I'm you're sorry so you're mad. <laughs> yeah. Sorry you're feeling. I'm sorry got you hurt. feel that way. That's the worst one. <laughs> I'm oh. sorry that you feel that way. It's I'm like... sorry you feel that way. Nope. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> Wrong. not. Wrong. Not again. really. Try again. <laughs> yeah. So I um have had variations on this conversation before with people in my life who I have maybe wished would apologize a little bit better. And so I've hunted for like tools, um, how, because I've realized like, if you don't learn how to apologize as a kid, like you are an adult who doesn't know how to apologize. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Yeah. So I was kind of hunting for tools and I came across this great article. Um, and it's, and it's about how to apologize properly and we'll leave it in the show notes. Um, but it's, uh, written by a, an elementary school teacher who is just trying to sort of teach kids that when we hurt each other we need to we need to own that because she found herself like intervening in all these um like play yard fights and realized like just teaching these kids how to apologize to each other would probably make my life a lot easier so she devised this um like four-step uh plan and she taught the kids so basically it's a it's a fill-in-the-blank type situation the first step is i'm sorry for so you name the thing you did i'm sorry for taking your toy Mm -hmm. step one step two it was wrong because and you fill that in so it was wrong because I didn't ask first or you weren't done playing with it um and it hurt your feelings or whatever um and this this step three I think is the piece that we forget often next time I will and that's when you actually say the thing that is like I acknowledge that this thing I did hurt you I am not I'm going to try really hard not to do that thing again. Mm-hmm. Next time I will not do that thing. I will um, be kinder in the way I talk to you. I will ask for permission first. I will, um, you know, it, whatever it is. Um, and sometimes that part needs to be negotiated. Like what will it take? Like a step three instead of next time I will could be what do I need to do next time um, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And that's when you're actually like really listening to the, the thing that the person needs from you to make it better. And then the fourth step is asking for forgiveness. Do you forgive me? Is that okay? Do you accept my apology? Can we move forward? And again, that's when it's important to listen to what the person that you've harmed says back to you and says, actually, I need some time. Mm -hmm. Like, give me a couple weeks and I'll, I'll be okay. Or, um, you know, they might say, you know, that doesn't really go far enough. Um, I feel like we need to talk about this now. Um, and so that's the, you know, I feel like we're good at the first steps. Like, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. I shouldn't have done that. And then we kind of stop there. But that that next piece is where we really get into like true repentance for the thing that we did. Um, next time I will do this differently and I will change the way I approach this situation with you and with others, or I will change the way I think about the world now. Right. Um, and then asking for forgiveness. Like those are things that, especially, you know, with folks that are Christian, we've got a lot of experience with the concept of forgiveness and repentance. Um, we give a lot of lip service to it anyway, mm-hmm. but, um, 
those we talk about it a lot is that something we really do well um do we really model humility well for each other I don't know what do you think I was thinking how profound it would be if when allegations around sexual abuse, misconduct, and there's an apology issued, if it included these four steps, because wouldn't that be amazing of acknowledgement, but also in the future, I'm going to act this way. That would, Mm -hmm. instead, I think what we get is, you know, this sort of um, couching it in, it was a long time ago. I don't remember what happened. I must've hurt all of these people, but I don't know. So basically if you don't know then how are you going to prevent it again in the future mm-hmm. if you are acting like you have no recollection mm-hmm. of what happened? So I was just thinking that would be so much more profound. It requires a lot more uh, reflection, self-awareness, mm-hmm. really thinking through practically what does it look like for me to change my behavior in the future. And that's the real acknowledgement yeah. that it's wrong. If I'm saying I need to mm-hmm. change my behavior because my behavior was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty profound. I agree with you on the lip service thing. And I think I think the forgiveness <laughs> model in church is often on uh, the person who has been harmed to accept the apology. That was my uh-huh. experience was it was more about being Christ like in just forgiving anyone turning the other cheek, turn the other cheek. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if the person's repenting. And I got a lot of pressure around this with my father. My parents were divorced. My dad was, we don't have to go into it. But there was a lot of harm done, basically. And everything I heard from church was, you have to forgive him because that's what Jesus would do. And there was no acknowledgement that forgiveness and reconciliation are different things. And that forgiveness was really about me eventually letting go of the hurt that I felt that was becoming a barrier to my own well-being. And I remember mm-hmm. in seminary, a professor told me, I was telling her about this, and she said, you can never interact with him again and still have peace about the situation. And that is what forgiveness is about, about giving mm-hmm. forgiveness. It's about liberating yourself from mm-hmm. the pain that someone else has caused you and not carrying it around. So we didn't really plan to talk about the flip side, but I think you know, we're talking about an ideal situation when person acknowledges the harm and the other person accepts the apology like that's the ideal but sometimes those pieces don't happen and we can be waiting around a long time for someone to ask for forgiveness and never get it yeah no I think you're totally right and that resonates with me a lot um I stayed in a borderline abusive relationship for a really long time because of the Christian turn the other cheek Mm. you know accept their apology um rhetoric and um yeah, like that's something that I think Christian, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily want to generalize, but I, I do think Christian women are, there's a lot of pressure put on us to um, forgive. And um, what that turns into is um, pressure to allow the harmful behavior to continue mm-hmm. indefinitely. Yeah, it's a silencing. It is very silencing. And... Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I have a lot of complicated feelings about the flip side of apologizing. Like you said, and we didn't really plan to talk about this, but it's there, you know, just because somebody apologizes, if you're the wronged person or the, the person who's been harmed, just because somebody apologizes, you don't really have to accept that apology if the harm that they've done is more than, you know, it crosses boundaries for you that 
Like, and that's something we need to also honor if we're the person who has harm someone we gotta accept if they say you know what this crossed a line for me and I don't really want to be in a relationship with you anymore right um we need to own that too yeah and um I think that all of this stuff is worth talking about Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. I think that's when the community can intercede and why faith communities at their best can be quite helpful because the burden of accepting the apology should not be on the person who is harmed yeah. That's when the broader mm-hmm. community can hold that and let the other person get what they need on their yep. own or, you know, in another part of the community. It really should be about like the folks who are not directly harmed being the ones to kind of bring that person back into the fold. Uh, yep. So I don't know how great churches are at that, but they certainly mm-hmm. could be if they made that yeah. a priority. Yeah, if they made it a priority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, let's get back to our own work of learning to be better at apologizing, because I think this is important. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we also talked about seeing that modeled for us or not. And I'm wondering, do you remember a time when someone apologized to you and it had an impact that you want to talk about? Yeah, you know, I think this is why I think that it's so important to teach kids, um, how to apologize, like, and, and role model that for kids, because I have a very clear memory um, as a child. I was probably five or six years old um, when we were at a big family get-together, and my grandpa lost his temper at me over something really trivial, and I remember kind of going off and crying, and um, a lot of adults would just leave it at that, mm-hmm. uh, but he actually came and found me and said, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. Um, there was just a lot going on and I, I thought you were, you know, in the way and it was a miscommunication and, um, I shouldn't, but regardless, I shouldn't have lost my temper at you and I'm sorry. And do you forgive me? Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly, I remember him apologizing and I remember the feeling of respect. Like I, I am a young kid and this grown up just apologized and made sure that, um, they made amends with me. And I remember feeling like valued enough that that was important to them to do that. And I just, that sticks out in my memory so clearly that I, I feel like it sh- probably shaped a lot of, of how I've interacted with folks um, and especially want to interact with kids now. And it's something I think about, you know, with my son, I want, I want to role model of being able to own my mistakes and apologize and teach him how to do this too. Um, and so I don't know if that's something that you think about with Sam. Oh, my um, gosh. Yes, <laughs> so much so. Uh, I apologize to her a lot. And gosh, I hope I do all four parts um, in terms of how I'm going to change my behavior in the future. But even before she was really talking a lot and I would get upset with her, it usually happens in the car. <laughs> I feel like the car mm-hmm. is where we mm-hmm. have the most conflict uh, over something. And I'm stressed out because I'm trying to drive us safely and she's Mm -hmm. having a meltdown in the back. But I can remember a lot of times pulling into her daycare and opening up the back to get her out and just saying, Sam, I am so sorry that I got upset with you. And, you know, I was just worried about this, but just kind of like what you said about your grandpa with her. And she doesn't always quite get it, but I feel like it's more about me making that a Mm -hmm. practice So that I am used to apologizing to her so that as she gets older and she understands more, 
um, that, that that's just part of our relationship is, is I admit when I am wrong and that's all we can do as parents. I mean, obviously I try not to hurt her, but I'm a human being and she annoys me sometimes and I have limits <laughs> and sometimes she crosses them and I don't react the way that I would like to. Uh, and I, I lose my, my stuff with her sometimes, but I definitely try to acknowledge it. And I think that's really important to not give into the power dynamic at play as a parent, because you don't have to apologize because yeah. your child is dependent on you for things. And so they can't demand that. So they're physically smaller right. and our society doesn't, you know, really treat little kids as full humans, you know? Right. Right. So like really resisting that and again, honoring their personhood. Uh, mm-hmm. And that they're someone deserving of respect and kindness just as much as you are. And it's really yeah. powerful. I also wanted to end. We did a little, uh, we asked our patrons in the Patreon Facebook group if they had anything that they wanted to share on this episode with us. We got some really good feedback. And I wanted to share something that Reverend Jan Todd said in our group. Um, she is a ordained Methodist minister and also a PhD candidate in sociology. So she's got a great Ooh. kind of intersectional approach. And she wrote a, a, a much longer thing, but I really like this sentence, that changing one's actions and letting the wronged person know that you are willing to do the work of that change is much more powerful than an apology. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yeah, I love that too. And I think that kind of sums up everything we've been talking about today. Yeah. Really. It's about accountability, Yay. right? Like, yeah, there's accountability in a for- in forgiveness and apologizing. Yeah. So thanks, Jan. Yeah, I appreciate that. Love you, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> so should we move on to what we're reading, yes. listening to, and or watching? Oh my gosh! So I'm wondering if you have time to do any of those things <laughs> right now. Uh, a little, a little I, bit. I will say I'm doing a lot more watching than I am reading. <laughs> I get these that. Days. I remember that too. And honestly, I. I set a goal of reading 50 books this year, and I think I'm on target. Oh! But um, lately, I've been so tired at the end of the day, which is when I read, that I'm just not getting mm-hmm. through books as quickly as I would like. But one that I am really enjoying, and I'm about halfway through, is this graphic novel by Alison Bechtel. And if you might know the name Bechtel... The Bechtel Test. Right, the Bechtel Test, yeah. which I was looking up before, and I'll link to it in the show notes. She actually developed with a friend of hers um, whose last name was Wallace. I think so it's technically mm-hmm. the Bechtel-Wallace Test. Ah, got it. But we'll, we'll, we can share more, but it's about you know women's representation in film and media. And what are they talking yeah. about? When are, are they talking to each other? But she is a cartoonist, and she wrote, mm-hmm. um, she's done several graphic novels, but the one that I'm reading right now is Are You My Mother? So that's kind of a shout out to the Dr. Seuss book. But she mm. is exploring her own complicated relationship with her mother, and she's actually working on another book as she's reflecting on her relationship with her mother. So she's got another graphic novel, I believe, about her father, but I, I guess she was developing developing these at the same time because it was in working on the book about her father that all this stuff was coming up with her mother. And I don't know about you, but I love people's inner lives about their intimate relationship. So yeah. it's kind of a voyeuristic thing. But she goes into all of her romantic relationships with women. She talks about different therapists that she's seen and how there's a lot of transference that happens where she's kind of attaching herself to her psychologist as a mother figure and like working through that. And it's just really unique to have it in the visual form, which is not typical for me. I haven't read a ton of graphic novels, but I'm really enjoying it. And that's, again, Are You My Mother by Alison Bechtel. And I'll link to it in the show notes. 
That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah really I just good. started really reading graphic novels. Well, I guess a couple years ago. Um, but I read the graphic form of Wrinkle in Time last yes, year. Yes, I and remember that. Really liked it. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, so I'm gonna have to check that out too. I also really like Alison Bechdel's work. So I have been watching. This is kind of this is interesting to me. So Facebook is like making TV shows now. I've seen this. Have you noticed this? Yeah, it's I weird. keep getting notifications, but I haven't watched anything yet. Yeah, so I recommend something on Facebook. Okay. Um, it's You're so called cutting Red edge. Table Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on Facebook too much. That's all it is. Um, so this is called Red Table Talk, and it's Jada Pinkett Smith and her daughter Willow Smith Aww. and her mother. Oh, cool. And the three of them come together at the Red Table and talk about things that are important to them as mothers and daughters and women. And the first episode was was really I mean it's it's beautiful honestly these three women really like share some some tough stuff and the first episode was just about sort of um their their family and their family dynamic and this is some something I didn't know um so Will Smith was married before Jada Pinkett and um he had a child with in his first marriage and so the first I didn't either and so the first episode of the three of them talking was um you know, Jada Pinkett was talking about what it was like to be a stepmom and to come into a family. And, um, she calls herself bonus mom. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Instead of stepmom. (laughs) Instead of stepmom, they're bonus moms. And, um, what it was like to, uh, you know, pitch in to help raise a child that wasn't hers, uh, biologically. And something that I thought was really cool that kind of fits in with this episode is she, they, they play, uh, an interview that she had with Will Smith's first wife. And um, the two of them sat down at the table and kind of reminisced about, I mean, it's been like 20 years now, Mm -hmm. but they reminisced about what it was like when, um, when Jada and Will first got married and um, Jada actually apologized um, and said, you know, I think I did not understand and acknowledge how hard it was for you to sort of let your son be um right you know let let him come into our home and and for me to have a hand in raising him and I didn't know how hard that was for you and I think I just expected you to be cool with everything and like move on Mm. but I didn't realize like the the relationship that you had with Will and what it's what it does to that relationship when you have kids and how you're always and forever intertwined and I didn't I didn't understand that and I know I didn't treat you with grace back then and it was really, I mean, it was beautiful, like, like made me tear up level beautiful. Aww. And since then they've had, um, so they release an episode every couple of weeks. And if you subscribe to the, to the Red Table Talk page on Facebook, it sends you a notification every time there's a um, new episode released. And each episode is like 15, 20 minutes long. Okay. It's an interesting format. Like it's, cause I don't even really have time for, uh, to watch TV. Right. <laughs> either. Yeah. Like, That's when we cut I our didn't... cable is after we had Sam. We're like, we're not going to watch this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like we might have time for 30 minutes at mm-hmm. night, like, <laughs> but like movies and stuff like that. No. So, so a 15 minute something on Facebook is, is actually pretty doable, but I just want to lift that up. I think it's a really neat um what they're doing is really cool they've taught they've done an episode on body image and on motherhood and um Jada Pinkett shares about she started wearing head wraps and stuff because she's um actually dealing with alopecia and so uh there's just some they're like really talking about some intimate stuff and I really love it and um recommend it uh to to our listeners cool so I can't wait to watch Red Table Talk on Facebook yeah All right, Ashley, you are up for this episode's Kindred of the Moment. 
Yeah, so this one, um, I know Katie, you and I have talked. This is this has been um, really on our hearts um, lately. Watching the news um, coming across about the uh, families and children being separated from their parents at at the southern border of the mm. U.S. Um, it's really uh, the situation is really terrible, and um, I feel very helpless mm. um, because it's it just feels like there is nothing we can do to stop it right now. Um, but what we can do is um, find ways to help those families that are here and dealing with our legal system now and the children who've been removed from their parents. Um, so a couple weeks ago, there's a group called Together Rising. So this is our kindred at the moment. It's to get the Together Rising. Um, they are a, a, a charity, basically, that was founded by um, Glennon Melton of Momastery, mm-hmm. the blog Momastery. She and a group got together and basically they raise money for causes through um, – Primarily, they do these things called love flash mobs, and it's like this 24-hour how much money can we raise by sharing on social media. And after the news um, of the 1,400 missing children in our in our um, system that have come across as unaccompanied minors across the border, after that kind of broke, and then it was sort of conflated with the kids who are being separated from their families at the border now as the new policy that uh, started at the beginning of May, um, that news came across and Glennon um, started to just try to understand what was going on and how we could help. And so she um, wrote this blog post on Momastery. We will share that. Um, it's called Emergency Love Flash Mob for the Children. It, it's really, it, it explains really what's going on, what the difference is between the unaccompanied um, minors that uh, have been kind of lost in the system. And they tend to be the, older kids, right? Yeah, they're older kids, and um, it's a very different, like their circumstances are very different because, um, and this blog post kind of talks about it, like finding these kids may not actually be in their best interest right. because they might just end up being deported or um, arrested even. Um, right. So it's it's not – or put back in a system and placed with somebody. Like maybe they're in a placement right now that's actually good and healthy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very complicated situation in and of itself. But the other situation are the kids right now as young as a year old that are being f- like forcibly removed from their parents as they are detained at the border. And so there are 60 um, immigrant – children ages um a year old I think like 10 months to 12 years that are in a detention center at the Arizona border and um Together Rising put out a um a love flash mob a couple weeks ago and they were able to raise in they raised a million dollars in nine hours yeah and over the course of the campaign they raised a million and a half and that money is going for legal aid in the form of um, so the Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project is actually going to be representing these kids. So they hired attorneys um, and these are going to pay for the legal fees um, for advocates and attorneys for these kids um, to go th- because they they exist in this gray area. They're not citizens, so they don't get assigned public defenders and they um, it's like they just they live in this gray area. And right now they're literally in detention centers. These are children, right? Babies. Um, so I just want to lift up the work of Together Rising and, um, through, through that kind of lift, shine a spotlight a little bit on what's happening at our Southern border and why we need to be concerned 
And um, I ask, you know, if if you know of any other ways that we can get involved and, and help and use our Kindred's platform to get the word out, um, please let us know. You can email us at uh, team at kindredspodcast.com or you can um, reach out to us on, if you're a patron, you can reach out to us on Facebook. Um, so that is our Kindred of the Moment, Together Rising. Yeah, thank you for sharing about that. It's such a heartbreaking thing. And I think of Hillary Clinton's famous quote, there's no such thing as other people's children. It's absolutely true. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that is our episode for this time. And next up, we're going to be talking about women in pain. So get excited Uh. about that. (laughs) Women in pain. Uh, Yeah, let's get excited. So, Ashley, you're like four months postpartum. You want to talk about pain. Let's talk pain. <laughs> and we also want a reminder that you can support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash kindreds. And please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll talk to you then. All right, Katie. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 